podcast of Antioch Church in Colorado Springs. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to support the work we're doing in Colorado Springs, you can give online at our website, antiochcos.com. We hope that the Lord ministers to you through this message. Amen. I want to I want to encourage you here just for one second before we jump into kind of the word of the morning. And uh, Brittany, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you to work this morning, girl. Um, but if we could go to Luke chapter one, and uh, I want to look at verse seventy six, and this is just an, a word of exhortation before we jump into uh, the text for the morning. Luke chapter one, verse seventy six. Uh, this is perhaps one of my favorite passages in the Advent season leading into Christmas tide. And there's just something about the richness of the story about how God is working in and through Zechariah. And uh, particularly when he begins to prophesy over his son, it just does something, I think, to my father heart. But the, the context here is Zechariah is prophesying over his son, John, who was just born. And this is what he says, he, 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 he shifts gears here and he begins prophesying not only over John, but also over John's ministry to prepare the way for Jesus. Verse 76, he says, you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the forgiveness of their sins, by the tender mercy of our God, the dawn from on high, will break upon us. Now just stop right there for one second. We're gonna to go to the next verse, but that right there encapsulates what the spirit of Advent really is all about. Jonathan did such a phenomenal job setting up uh, our Advent series. Last week was the first Sunday of Advent. This week is uh, the, the second Sunday of Advent. And for those of us who the idea, the concept, the language, the season, the objectives of Advent may be a little new for us. I'm just four years into this and it is still wrecking me, shaping me, convicting me in so many ways. But this verse right here, by the tender mercy of God, the dawn from on high will break upon us. Imagine the people of Israel sitting in 400 years where the word of God was silent. Imagine being a people where your collective memory, where your very identity was shaped by the activity and the voice of God moving in your midst. And then it's gone for 400 years. Uh, slavery and oppression, deliverance, uh, golden years, back to slavery and oppression, and then into a, a realm of exile where everything that you had known has been broken and fallen apart. And you're just kind of pulling pieces back together. And then the voice of the Lord is just silent and you're trying to be faithful to God in the midst of that darkness. Anybody ever been there before? Anybody there right now? Because this is the encouraging word for some of us. The dawn from on high will break upon us. The dawn, the light is coming into the darkness. Here's the next verse, and this is the word I wanna pray over us. To give light to those who sit in darkness. Now, let's be honest. Some of us, we read verses like this, like I have my entire life, and I just go, oh, that's for the lost people. That's for the unbelievers. That's for people that don't know Christ. No, that's for me. <laughs> I, I need light to shine in my darkness. Um, you know, the Christian life has very dark seasons, 
dark nights of the soul, dark moments, moments when you feel like God is far from you, moments when you feel like you're doing everything right, everything you're supposed to do, everything that you knew that you were supposed to do, and it feels like he is a thousand years away. And it's in those moments that I wanna encourage you in this Advent season that light will shine in your darkness. Uh, in the shadow of death, and here's, here's the word I wanna pray, to guide our feet into the way of peace to guide our feet into the way of peace. Without belaboring, this Friday was an awful day for me. It was horrible. It was one of those days where I was like, I want this day to end. And yet it was a day where I'm supposed to be celebrating and honoring all of you. I was like, God, this is awful. And I just kept saying all night long, I said, I just want this day to end. I want this day to end. This is not a good day. And I want you to know there's days in the Christian life where we just want those days to end. Sometimes there's weeks. Sometimes there's months. God forbid, sometimes there are even years that we just want to end. I've talked with numerous people over the past couple of weeks and they're like, I'm ready for 2019 to be over. I'm just ready. I want 2020. I'm just, I'm just done with 2019. And that might be where you've been. That might be where you're at. And what I wanna pray over you this morning as we enter into the word is peace. Peace over your chaos. Peace over the turbulence. Peace over the confusion. Peace over the darkness. Peace over, God, it just seems like everything is falling apart. Everything is chaotic. Nothing is making sense. Every promise that I'm standing on is not coming forth. I wanna pray peace, 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 peace over you. So in the name of Jesus, God, I pray for my friends and my brothers and my sisters this morning. And I am asking that the Prince of Peace, the one who comes in, into the darkness, would guide our feet into the path of peace. I'm praying today that God would be the Prince of Peace, that he would be the Lord of Peace, that he would speak into the chaos as he did in Genesis, that he would speak into the things that are formless and void and turbulent in your life. They are chaotic. And I'm declaring today that God would speak into those moments for those of you that are needing direction in your life, I pray that God would give you a sure word and a clear word and he would give you direction, that he would guide your feet into the path of peace. For those of you who are experiencing disappointment, I am praying today that the peace of God would surround your mind that those of you today who are experiencing loss and grief, I am praying that peace would comfort you. And Father, as we continue on with our service, as we proclaim gospel hope, as we come and we fellowship at the invitation of your table, we are asking that the Holy Spirit of the living God would be near and present and move dynamically in everything that we do for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, join me if you would in the book of Matthew chapter three. We're gonna read verses one through 12. Matthew chapter three, verses one through 12. And while you're turning there and getting yourself ready, I want to do a very, very brief recap on some of the things that Pastor Jonathan spoke on last week. Again, with the Advent season being somewhat new to us and not just new in terms of theologically or liturgically or historically, but new in terms of abruptly. I mean, I, I felt like November was like a blink. It was just a blink. And before I knew it, Thanksgiving was here and it was over. It was the first Sunday of Advent. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's the first Sunday of Advent. And there is a little bit less anxiety in my heart this year, maybe because I'm just settling into this rhythm and I realize 
hey, listen, it's, it's okay. There are some big objectives that God is at work here. If you're not sitting down lighting candles every Sunday or if you miss something, it is okay. There are some bigger things that God is at work here and we're gonna talk about some of those things today. But what is Advent? Number one, Advent, like Jonathan said last week, very simply means arrival. And so first and foremost, the season of Advent is a season of celebration. It's a season of celebration where we are celebrating the fact that when God promised to his people, I am coming, I am bringing Yeshua, I am bringing a Messiah, I will shine in the darkness, he fulfilled that promise. And that is what Christmas is all about. And so in the season of Advent, we celebrate God as a keeper of his promises. God showed up. Everything that we celebrate in the hope of the resurrection that comes with Easter is only possible because God sent his son into the darkness at Christmas. And so Advent's a time of celebration. But number two, Advent's a season of anticipation. It's a season of anticipation. If you've ever experienced, maybe you, your, your spouses went away. Those of you guys who had spouses that went to Eswatini and just got back this week, you know what anticipation's about. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about this morning, right? So your spouse has been gone for 14 days and you're like, I am anticip, I am longing for my spouse or I'm longing for my parent or I'm longing for my child or I'm longing for my friend to come home because I miss them, because I love them, because I delight in them, because I treasure the relationship. So Advent's a season of anticipation that is birthed out of deep love and desire but it's also a season of anticipation that's birthed out of brokenness and pain. Advent's a season where we look around and we say, God, this world is awful. It's broken. And I don't like this. And more and more, and I think, I think the older that we get as we stay faithful in God, something begins to change inside of us. That the allure of the affections of this world, they begin to wear off and we begin to look for a heavenly country. And we begin to realize that all of our hope that we placed in systems, systems of government, systems of education, systems of money, systems of fashions, you know, all of these things that we've placed some semblance of trust and security. And we realize these are all broken systems. And God, it seems like, it seems like things are getting worse. And the only thing that can make things better is your second arrival. So Advent is a season of anticipation. We anticipate the day when you come back to this world and you make it right. You make every injustice right. Every racial injustice, every gender injustice, you make it right because you're the only one that can do that. And the reason why we participate in making things right now is because we are living into a kingdom that has already begun. We're living into the reality of the kingdom that has come and yet it is coming. We are in that in-between state. We're in that in-between state. Finally, Advent's a season of preparation. So it's a season of celebration. It's a season of anticipation. But it's also a season of preparation. Jesse, you like what I just did there? It's a season of preparation. One of the things I, I try to do when Christy goes away for long periods of time is I try to prepare the home whenever she comes back, right? Sometimes it happens and those days are glorious. When it doesn't happen, it, it just didn't happen, right? But yeah, sorry. But it's always wonderful when we can prepare for the arrival of a special guest, 
where we can prepare for the new season that is coming. And that's what Advent is about. It's about a lifelong process of us preparing our heart and our mind for the reality of this new culture, this, this, the, the value systems of the kingdom of heaven taking root in our hearts and lives and changing us and forming us. So today, we're gonna talk about one of the premier Advent figures, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And really and truly, John is kind of the picture of what Advent is all about. So in our Bibles, let's look at Matthew chapter three. We're gonna read verses one through 12. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And even now the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter three begins with this statement, in those days, in those days. And again, just briefly putting ourselves in the context of what the people of Israel at that time were experiencing a season of darkness spiritually, and perhaps even a, a season of hopelessness. Uh, many of the writers that write theologically about the season of Advent talk about this space where John comes and he announces that the world that you know is about to end. The world as you know it is about to end. And that's a really interesting concept because people are just cruising along waiting for the fulfillment of the promise of the Messiah, not even realizing that they're living life in a certain kind of realm. They're living life in a, in a certain kind of manner. And John pops up on the scene and he says, everything that you know, it's about to be divinely interrupted. It's about, it's about to, to end. The season where the enemy reigns and rules over us, he goes, yeah, that world, that world's coming to an end. The world that did not have the rulership of Christ stepping onto the scene, that day, that day is coming to an end. If you read much of World War history, 
Many of you may know that um, the invasion of what they call D-Day, when Hitler was ruling and, and after 18 months of planning and strategic thinking of how the United States of America would enter into this, this world war, the day that we stepped foot onto Normandy, the day that D-Day began was the beginning of the end. It was the beginning of the end. Now, there were still battles to take place. There was tons of loss. But the moment that those soldiers established a beachhead in that, in that place, the end was inevitable. When Christ came and he came and established a beachhead through his birth and his incarnation, the end was inevitable. There's gonna be more battles. There's gonna be more fights. It's gonna be a struggle but you need to know the moment the angel came to Barry and said, Hark, you are now pregnant. You're going to conceive of a child. It's the Son of God. You're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the rising and the fall of nations is going to rest on this one. And the government is going to rest on his shoulders. It was the beginning of the end. And when John pops up on the scene in the wilderness, he's essentially announcing to all of those in Israel what you have waited for for hundreds of thousands of years. It's here. It's here, it is here. And so now, as Jonathan said last week, we sit in this amazing space where the kingdom has come. And so we see the power of God and miracles. We see the, dy the dynamic immediacy of his spirit. We see it here, we see it now, it's begun. And yet we're confused, why? Because when we lay hands on the sick and they don't fully recover, we go, wait a minute. You told me that your kingdom has come. You told me your kingdom is here. And yet we're in this space where it has not fully come. It's not fully been established. Is that making sense this morning? So what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about two aspects of John. I want to talk about his message. I want to talk about his ministry. His message and his ministry. John's message was very, very simple. And it's consistent through every one of the gospels. His message was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the prophesied Messiah has come. I wanna talk for a few minutes here about this crucial, crucial concept of repentance because repentance is the cornerstone of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There can be no Christian faith and there can be no victorious Christian life without repentance. And let's just, let's just let this sink in because I think in Western individual Christian America, I think that we're, we've tried to make Christianity and following God a little bit of a formula. I think what we've done is we've tried to basically have our cake and eat it too. We've tried to say, we're, we're gonna live Christianity out the way that we want to live this out. We're gonna get all the perks of blessing and provision and community and safety and protection, but we're gonna do all that still living by our rules, by doing things the way that we want to do. And the entry point into the kingdom of God is this word that John uses called repent. What is repent? It comes from a combination of two Greek words. It's a word called metanoeo. Meta noeo, you're like, that doesn't mean anything to me. Well, it might. <laughs> because the word meta means after and the word noeo means to think. And when you put those together, it means the conclusions that you come to after you think about the results of your decisions. 
You, you ever thought about if you could go back and do it all over again, what would you do differently? Anybody ever uh, do those exercises? What would I do differently with my kids? What, I, what, I, what would I do differently in my education? God knows I would have done a lot differently in my education. I wouldn't procrastinate as much. I would have made drastic, drastic decisions that are different. Some of you may be thinking back over uh, your current marriage or a previous marriage and say, if I had to do it all over again, I would have done this differently. Well, that's a form of repentance because you're looking at how things have played out and perhaps you're seeing things, consequences that have pain associated with them and you're going, if I would have known this, then I would have chosen a different choice. That's repentance. Repentance means by the grace of God that we have revelation before we make the decision. If I keep going down this path, this is going to end up in pain. This is going to end up in death. This is not going to produce the life of God. Now, here's why this is so important, you guys. Because repentance is everything about the Christian faith. Repentance is essentially saying at the onset of our journey, Jesus, I don't know how to live my life, but you do. Jesus, I don't know the choices that I need to make to produce life, but you do. Jesus, I'm messing this entire thing up, but if I, if I choose to follow the things that, that you are saying, I realize that you're gonna lead me into ways of peace. Here's what repentance is not. Repentance is not just for lost people. Repentance is not just for people that have never entered into the kingdom of God. Repentance is not just for quote unquote unbelievers. Repentance is for every believer. And I believe that if we're really leaning into God, that repentance is probably something that should be happening every day. As we're discovering the gap between our life and what God has called us to, it calls for repentance. As we discover, oh, God has called me to love my enemies, but I hate my enemies. And it feels really good to hate my enemies right now. I feel angry. I feel resentful. I feel bitter. And I like nursing that because it feeds something inside of me. It gives me something to hold on to. There's an element of control that I have when I get to nurse my resentment and my bitterness with those who have hurt me. And Jesus is standing over here and he is saying, love your enemies. And I'm saying the discrepancy between hating my enemies and loving my enemies, that gap is huge, right? And repentance is the thing that turns us. It turns the direction of our lives because it begins with a changing of the way that we think about something. Let me put it to you like this, because I've seen this play out. And some of you guys have seen this play out with people that are in your life. If, if you went to the doctor today and the doctor said, Unless you make some serious changes with your diet, you only have a few months to live. Anybody ever been in situations like that or you know someone who's been in situations like that? And guys, let's be really, really honest. The things that we choose to consume that bring us pleasure, to break agreement with those things and to adopt new lifestyles, habits, and practices, that's hard. For those of us who drink sugary drinks and caffeinated drinks and monsters and Red Bulls and someone comes and says, hey, listen, you need to stop drinking those. Okay, that's hard. That's radical change. I know because I've seen people manifest 
I've seen people straight up, you know what manifest means? It means, you ever seen Lord of the Rings where it's like, you know, everything's fine and then blah, like that you just manifested. There's something that's not holy inside of you that just came out right now when I touched your Red Bull, okay? What is that, okay? Don't touch my Cheetos, don't touch my Twizzlers, don't touch my gummy bears, don't tell me I can't have sugar, don't tell me I can't have meat, okay, whatever it is. But what's needed right there? Is it just a, is it just a, I just need stronger willpower. I just need to bend these things to my will. No, what you need, what I need is repentance. We need to think differently. We need a revelation that penetrates our current belief system that is so powerful that it disrupts us. And we say, no, me sticking around longer for my children is more important than my steak or my fried food or my Red Bull or whatever it is, fill in the blank. But we have to have a revelation of value. The ministry that God has called me to is more valuable than that. The things that God has called me to do in this world are more valuable than the little pleasures that I feed my body with. That's called repentance. Here's another example. Here's another example. Repentance is actually a form of alignment. So when you think about repentance, I want you to think about alignment. Am I in alignment you know, a lot of times what makes or breaks a missionary's success in another country is their ability to so adopt the values of that country. And you'll read this about the successful long-term missionaries of old. What you'll read is you'll read that people of that country will say, no, they became one of us. To the Chinese people inland, they said Hudson Taylor became like a Chinaman. To those in India, when William Carey went, and, and gave up his life and his family in that country, they said he became like an Indian. One of my favorite stories is of David Livingston. Many of you guys know this story, but when David Livingston was about to die, the English, who ironically enough, were not in favor of David Livingston going and laying his life down for the people of Zambia or Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe, I believe it was. And anyways, the English people were saying, we're not in favor of this. And David Livingston essentially said, uh, the, the call of the Lord on my heart to reach the Africans is so strong. I'm going without your support. He goes and he laid his life down in Africa. And when the English found out that he had died, now they wanted to all of a sudden get on board. And they sent a delegation of people to go and retrieve David Livingston's body. Massive colonial ship and a beautiful wooden casket. And the English went and they put David Livingston's body in that casket, in the middle of the night, some of the Africans snuck out. They broke into that casket. They took a knife, and this may seem barbaric, but it's not. It's so, it's so holy to me. They cut David Livingston's heart out of his body. And they said, you may have David Livingston's body, but his heart belongs in Africa. He's one of us. And how do you get to that place? You get there because of repentance. You get there because you're essentially saying, my Western idealism is not better than your African philosophies. The way that we do things in the superior nation is not better than the way that you do relationship or conflict management. 
Missions is all about saying, God, what is redemptive about this culture that you have established here that I'm going to lay down my superiority and my exceptionalism to submit to that and come into that so much so that at the end of the day, some people will say of you, he was more African than he was American. He's more Asian than he was American. She's more Latina than she was American. That's repentance. It can only happen by repentance. I've said this for years and, and I wanna just, I wanna submit this to you again today, guys, that teachability, the ability to receive new truth that has the power to form you is one of the most fundamental aspects of your life and your leadership. It is one of the most fundamental aspects. The moment you close yourself off to receiving truth that has the power to change you, you have stopped living. Life has ceased. Why do, why do, I, why do I say that? It's very, very simple. Because if you can't listen and you can't learn, then you can't change. And change is required anytime God calls us into new things. Change is required anytime God invites us into territory or land to occupy that we've never been into before. Change is required so that growth can happen in whatever endeavor it is that we have. Think about it. Think about your marriage, those of you guys who are married right now. And think about when your spouse comes to you and they say, can we have a conversation because there's something that you're doing that is hurting me or frustrating me. There's something that you're doing that's putting distance between me. If I don't have ears to hear my wife say that, I'm not gonna change that. And if I don't change that, I'm gonna stop growing as an individual. I'm gonna stop growing as a husband. And now watch this, the influence that I carry in the, in the respective relational environments that God puts me into, they're gonna stop changing and growing as well. So to the degree that I stop changing and growing as a man, I stop changing and growing as a husband. To the degree that I stop changing and growing as a husband, it affects my marriage. And over time, it may not happen immediately, but over time, that marriage will begin to die. Begin to die. I, I was talking to one of our guests this morning. He, uh, he and I met over at 24-Hour Fitness. He uh, walked me through a training session one day. And those of you guys who do anything physically, you know that you hit plateaus. Those of you guys who lift, those of you who run, whatever it is that you're doing to stay healthy and in shape, your body begins to predict what it is that you're doing. So you gotta confuse those muscles a little bit. So you may say, well, I don't like doing, I don't like lifting weights. I like doing this. Well, you may need to introduce something else into your regiment or else you're gonna get static. You're going to plateau. Some of you need to take that class that you have been avoiding because you're plateauing. I mean, for years, and you guys know this, for years I avoided the book of Revelation. Why? Because I, I don't like the book of Revelation. It's creepy and scary and weird and everybody thinks they know what it's about and nobody knows what it's about. Let's be honest. Come on. Right, talking with so much certainty and finality about mysterious things and it just turned me off and, and four years ago was the first year that I ever deeply dived into Revelation. Why? Because I have people around my life that are pushing me and saying, if you don't go into new frontiers, theologically, spiritually, in your spiritual disciplines, in your relationships, you will stagnate. So at some point we have to realize our relationship with God is not about us. It's not about what we like. 
I love sitting and soaking in the presence of God for hours, but I need the word. I need the dry, boring rhythm of jumping into the word when I don't understand what it's saying. I don't feel like I got a heavy revy. I don't feel like there's explosive dynamite nuggets that are coming out inside. I, I need the rhythm of saying, God, I submit to the truth of your word. Renew my mind with the truth of your word or else I will stagnate and I will die that's repent for the kingdom of heaven is it near repent let me tell you what repentance is not repentance is not just feeling sorry repentance is not listen 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 guys this is so huge and we're gonna go to a couple of verses here we make decisions on a daily basis and those decisions have consequences it's one of the fundamental things that we try to teach our kids if parents, if you're not teaching, I'm meddling now, if you're not teaching your children the power of consequence, you're doing them a disservice because every decision in life has a consequence. You don't turn your library book in time, you get a fine. You keep, you, that fine grows and it compounds and then you can't check out new books and then you, you, didn't, you didn't do the due diligence to get the book when you're supposed to and now you gotta get a new book but you can't afford the $15 for the fine. Now your paper's due tomorrow because you procrastinated. It's not God's fault. Look with me if you would at Proverbs chapter 19, verse three. This is one of my favorite and most frustrating passages because this is where spirituality gets real. One person's own folly, foolishness, irresponsibility, poor choices leads to ruin. Leads to ruin. Do you know what that means? It means that our choices have consequences. Right? We're not allowed to just talk to people however we want. The way we talk to people has consequences. We're not allowed to just keep showing up late over and over and over again. You will get fired. It's a consequence. Laziness has consequences. Irresponsibility has consequences. Refusing to grow has consequences. Look right here, our own folly, it's our own folly leads us to ruin. How many of you, let's be really, really honest this morning. How many of you have had difficult things happen in your life and you wanna blame one of two cosmic deities, God or the devil? Come on, let's get honest. How many of you, something happens and you go, ah, that's God's fault. Why did you do this to me? Or why didn't you? How many of you guys ever done that before? Come on, be honest, be honest. Let me just tell you today, it's not God's fault. And I don't know how or why this entered in, but we have to repent. We have to adopt a new way of thinking that helps us to enter into truth because it's not God's fault. And most of the time, guys, it's not the devil's fault. Now, is there a devil that is at work? Yes. But do you really think that the general of a massive demonic army is gonna jump down into your business and try to interrupt your life? No, he's got little minions to take care of that kind of stuff. And most of the things, not all the things, but listen, guys, most of the things, I'm not against spiritual warfare. I'm all for, I, I believe in it. I believe God's given us authority and power. You've heard me preach on this. But I think a lot of things that we attribute to spiritual warfare and the enemy are the consequences of our poor choices. You can't make poor financial decisions and get in loads of debt and go, that, that, that devil. 
I hate it when he pulls my wallet out. I hate that. And just that chip, that demonically inspired chip, right? No, no, no. We need self-government. We need messages on wealth and finance. We need delayed gratification. We need to die to ourselves. We need to go to the cross. We need to tithe and bring our offerings to the Lord. We need to develop generosity and gratitude. That's the work of God in our lives. It's not the devil's fault that we're in debt. It's not. Many of you may know this because Christy posts everything in our lives on social media. <laughs> but, <laughs> but our house got broken into this week. Yeah, some, some rascals went into our home and we're not exactly sure how. We're trying to figure all that out. Um, but here's, here's one of our theories, and it's, it's possible. Because our garage door has been acting funky and malfunctioning and, and doing one of those things where we're like, go down halfway and then go back up or go down three quarters of the way and go back up. Or like, oh my gosh, why do you do this every Sunday morning when I'm already late for service and you keep going back up? Okay, it's not the devil's fault. Fix your garage door, Jade. Okay. <laughs> So we think that the garage door went all the way down. We think it went all the way down. But here's the thing. Someone just strolled right past the outside garage door. And guess what? We leave our inside garage door. Let me just tell you as a good pastor and friend, lock your inside garage door. Okay? Because they just strolled right into our house and they took a lot of stuff. Not a ton of stuff, but they took stuff. Okay? That wasn't the devil. It wasn't the devil. Okay, that's people acting foolishly and they're going to have consequences for their own folly. And that's the result of the consequences for us for not securing our house rightly. We have an alarm system, you guys. We don't use it. <laughs> but we will from now on. One's own folly leads to ruin. And yet, look at this. Yet their heart rages against the Lord. Guys, this is where the rubber meets the road. We need repentance. Let me, let me, just, let me just take this another level. Can we go another level? Can we mature today? Let's go to 2 Corinthians. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll come back to John. He's waiting for us. John's semi-patient out there in the wilderness, eating locusts and whatnot. God, these are some really, really, really great passages, you guys. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 9. We're going to read verses 9 through 10. I'm telling you guys, after 20 years of pastoral ministry, 25 years of being in the yoke of the church faithfully, you just, you just see the incongruency of people's spirituality. You see that coming to the surface all the time. You see our belief systems, and you see it by the way that people act in crisis. Right? And it's okay. It's just, a, it's just a part of spiritual maturity. But let's grow up. Let's mature this Advent season. Joy to the world. <laughs> now I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because your grief, look at this, led to repentance, which tells me there is a grief that will not lead to repentance. Here's how I know, because I still do things that I have experienced pain and grief over. And you do too right? You know that if you don't turn your bill on time, you get a $39 late fee. And yet, we still have times where we turn our bills in late, right? You know that when you kind of just fly off the handle and flesh out that it hurts people, and now you don't talk to your spouse for weeks or days, but you still do that, right? You know that if you don't lay your clothes out the night before, 
then you're going to be set back the morning of, and now you're rushed and you're, you're stressed out and everything's in a, in a frenzy. You know that. Why? Because you've showed up late and the whole time you're going, I'm never going to do that. I'm never going to do that, right? You know that. So grief in and of itself is not repentance. And there is a grief and a frustration and a pain that I believe that God can use to lead us into repentance. But we have to make that choice to repent. And I'm almost convinced dealing with little children, particularly my little child, who does the exact same thing that he gets consequences for, not just numerous times a week, but in the same day. I'm just thinking, how many other creative disciplinary ways in love do I have to, do I have to like enforce to help you understand that, son, every time you break these boundaries, there will be a consequence to pay? I'm just, I'm just convinced that repentance is a supernatural work that comes by the grace of God that we submit to and we agree with. I rejoice because your grief led to repentance. For you felt a godly grief so that you were not harmed in any way by us. Next verse right here. Um, for godly grief produces a repentance. Stop right there. Godly grief produces a repentance. Now what we're gonna find out here in these verses is there's also what's called a worldly grief. Do you know what worldly grief is? We're gonna look right here at Matthew 3 again. Worldly grief is, I just want to escape the consequences, but I still want to do what I wanna do. I wanna cheat on my wife and keep both of them. No, no, you don't get to do that. There's consequences. You're not allowed to violate certain laws and principles and then blame God or blame your spouse or blame your child or blame your parents or blame your boss or blame the devil or blame circumstances. Repentance requires ownership. Now, now let's get really real. Let's, let's take this another level, okay? Because repentance is hard work, guys. It's hard work. Let's go back to the medical example. You go to the doctor, they say, you need to radically adjust your entire, dude, I'm telling you, I watched Game Changers the other day. Don't watch Game Changers. Don't watch it. Don't, I promise you, don't, don't watch it. Don't watch it, man. Oh, vegan, are you kidding me? Do you know how much I love steak and pork chops? And every, like, I, I love every cut of chicken. Uh, all of them. Thighs, breasts, legs, wings, the carcass, the soup that comes from the carcass. I love the fat on the outer rim of every piece of meat. I love bacon in an ungodly way. I feel like God is telling me I need to fast. I'm just, as I talk... I'm getting convicted here. The more I'm going to shut up here because the more I speak, God is leading me into conviction. Don't watch Game Changers. You start watching things like that and you start, it starts messing with your paradigm. And then listen, repentance is not a one-time decision at an altar where you're feeling bad. And, God, I'll never do that again. I'll never do that again. And you go right out the door and you do it again. Why? Because repent, get a journal. Get a journal, Okay and chart out about four hours. And now I've already freaking some of you guys out and get alone with God or see a therapist or go to a spiritual director or go to a Christian counselor or better yet, go to your spouse or go to your parents or go to your children, ask them the hard questions and give them the permission to say hard things to you and then wrestle, wrestle, 
wrestle because that's what this is. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads you somewhere. Worldly grief produces death. Look at the next verse. Look at the next verse. This one right here. This is, this is, this is the winner right here. Verse 11. See, the devil. <laughs> For see what e earnestness, look at this. You want to know if whether or not you have godly, godly sorrow? You want to know whether or not you've repented? John said this to the Pharisees. What did he say? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What is that fruit? Well, look. See what earnestness, you know what earnestness means? It means we're serious about this. It means, guys, listen, if we have a problem looking at stuff on devices, it's not enough just to feel bad, cry, get angry, beat ourselves up, and then, you know, kind of keep moving on and then go back to it and get in the cycle and God, are you real? And you're not real. If you were real, you'd take this away. No, there is an earnestness that a godly grief produces. We need to think bigger. We need to say, God, there's a perspective that you have here on this issue of my life, and I don't have that perspective. I'm not seeing this the way that you see it. So God, I'm giving you permission in my repentance to show me something I can't see. Show me something. I have an ideology and a theology and a philosophy and a belief system, and they're all entrenched and they're all entwined. And a lot of times I don't even know they're really in there until I keep going back to my vomit over and over and over again. And at some point break the cycle and say, God, speak. And speak in such a way that I've got to get down to the heart. Maybe I need to do some hardcore forgiveness, which is more hours and another journal and another therapist and another, like maybe I just need hours where I take inventory of the deep brokenness in my life. And guys, this is a lifelong, this is a long-term process. I'm here to tell you today that repentance is not just a one and done. It is a, it is hard work. It is hard work. But can I tell you something as your friend? Can I tell you something? It's hard either way. Right? It's hard either way. Some of you guys are fighting for your marriage right now. And I've talked with, I've talked with dozens of people fighting for their marriage. And here's what I tell them. I tell them this. I said, listen, listen, bud. This is going to be hard work. And I need, you to, I need you to buckle up for about two years at least where you are radically readjusting your entire life to change. And they look at me and their eyes are wide open. I said, listen, I'm not, this is not a, baby, I'm so sorry, and get her back and go back to your own way. I said, listen, you need to give yourself a, you need to just set your mindset two years that you're gonna go all, go all out and do whatever you need to do for the radical change to transform your life, not just for the sake of your marriage, for the sake of you, bud, you, Right? right? Think about this. Repentance is hard work. But listen, listen, if you don't repent, it's hard work. It's hard work. Because listen, listen, you think right now, and this is the allure, the allure of the enemy. Let me share you, with you something that, that it's just, it's, it's age old. It's the same strategy. The enemy gives us short term, uh, what is it? It's, yeah, it's short-term gratification. It's like a spoonful of sugar that helps medicine go down. It's, it's like anesthetizing us, right? It's just, okay, listen, if I divorce right now, this, every, all this will go away. 
And the frustration and the conflict and the contention and the division, it's all gonna go away. And that's the carrot that he dangles. But what we don't realize is that because we've not dealt with us with repentance, it just reproduces itself in the next relationship. And what it cascades into our children, it's hard work either way. So here's the promise of the gospel. Do the hard work of repentance. Because the hard work of repentance, if you don't get anything else today, Annie, I get this. The hard work of repentance will lead you to life. Okay? The other is hard too, but it leads to death. It leads to death. And it's not the devil's fault and it's not God's fault. It's your choice. Selah. Let's go back to Matthew and let's just bring this to a close because there's dozens of other verses that are amazing, but I'm just gonna go back to Matthew. Jonathan, would you come forward, please, my friend? I wanna tell you, I wanna show you very, very quickly two responses, all right? Two responses. Matthew chapter three. Look at verse, uh, look at verse five. Then the people of Jerusalem and Judea were going out to him, They were going out to him. Where was John at? Yeah, he was in the desert, right? And they were going out to him. What does that tell you? Think about that phrase. We want Christian life to be victorious and powerful by everybody coming to us. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. We want, every, we, want the, we want everybody to notice that, we're, that we were gone. Why didn't anybody check on me? Listen, listen. Hey, you know what? You're so doggone sporadic. You're here once every six weeks. How do we know you left or not? We don't know. We want everyone to cater to us. But listen, listen, listen. If you want to change, you will take ownership. Most of the American church is immature and infantile because we blame everyone. It's the pastor's fault. It's the elder's fault. It's their wife's fault. It's the deacon's fault. It's my friend's fault. It's my boss's fault. My mom's fault. It's my dog. It's everyone else's fault. You will not grow. And I will prophesy over your life. You will remain in this pattern. You will remain stuck as long as you keep blaming everybody else. It's always somebody else's fault. It is a no-win situation until you drill down and say, no, I will do whatever. They went out to the wilderness. Repentance is inconvenient, guys. Spiritual growth and maturity was never designed to be convenient for you or me. Number two, they confessed their sins. You have to name that junk. Name it. Identify it. Stop justifying it, stop excusing it, stop avoiding it, stop ignoring it, stop giving it other language, stop using euphemisms. Name it, name it. I am insensitive, say it, right? Say that junk, right? And then wrestle. Why am I so doggone insensitive? And don't blame a personality profile or an Enneagram number or don't blame anything. Name that thing. Name it. And then go and look right there. Confess their sins. And then they were baptized. 
God, immerse me in the waters of your grace and your mercy and change me. Hold me down under that water until something inside of me dies. Help me to deny myself and pick up my cross and follow you until, until the life of the kingdom, the arrival of the culture of the kingdom seeps into who I am and I'm changed. That's the only way that Christianity works, guys. Otherwise, you're living in the matrix. You're kidding yourself. You're kidding yourself. You hear me? Because this is what the Pharisees, when he saw Pharisees did, look at, look at the next, Brittany, please, in the next verse. But when he saw Pharisees and Sadducees coming, he says, you're, you're, you're the children of snakes who warned you to flee from the wrath. You know what they were doing? They're like, oh, is this the magic pill? Is this the magic pill? Is Sunday service attendance? Is coming and eating a cracker? Is, is, is that the pill? Then I'll do this. I, how do I avoid hell? How do I avoid? No, 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 no. That's the, he's like, listen, look at the next verse. Look at this verse. He says, bear fruit. Bear fruit. Go back to 2 Corinthians 7, guys. Read that trash. Seriously. Earnestness, suffering, pain, grief, sorrow. You have to work with God if you want to change. You have to. Or, guys, listen. You can just keep going back and just keep blaming everyone and stay in the cycle. Stay in the pattern. Stay in the broken relationships. Stay in the victimization. Stay, stay there. Stay in the irresponsibility. Go from church to church to church. It'll always be some, some other church's fault. I promise you, if you're looking for a group of people to fail you, the church is a prime suspect. Keep going, keep going. They will fail you. They will succeed. They will succeed. Set them up for great success by just looking for everything they do wrong. It will work. It, it's, it's fail-proof, okay? Better yet, just find another human being, okay? It will work, and you'll be miserable. You will be miserable. And listen, let me speak hope of the gospel to you. You were not designed to be miserable. You were designed to be full, full of life and freedom and power and joy and peace where the grace of God flows through your life. But I'm telling you today, it is hard work. It is not a magic prayer and everything goes away. Stand with me to your feet this morning. Y'all are like, this is supposed to be Christmas season. <laughs> it's not Christmas yet. It's Advent. And Advent is all about preparation. Do you know how we prepare for this new king? Repentance. God, show me where my values and my beliefs are not in alignment with yours. Show me because I want to be ready when you come. Stretch forth your hands this morning, if you would. Father, thank you for the body and the blood of Jesus. Thank you that your blood speaks a greater word. Thank you that there is power in your blood to redeem us from every generational curse. Thank you, Father God, for the broken body of Jesus that offers redemption, that translates us out of one kingdom and puts us into another kingdom with another value system. Oh God, we are asking you today, to be the body and blood of Jesus by the power of your spirit, be near us and present to us and minister to every single one of us today as we respond to grace at the invitation of your table. 
Thank you for listening to the Antioch Church Sermon of the Week. For more information about us, visit AntiochCOS.com. Thank you.